0: Hey, everybody, welcome to New Beginnings Church Online for this weekend. We're in this foundation series, our very first series for 2022. And we're in part four, and we're gonna talk about my favorite person revealed in the Bible, and that is the Holy Spirit. Um, Just to do a little bit of review, if you haven't seen parts one, two, and three, we've been studying about, how vitally important a good foundation is to the life of a believer. What is the purpose of a foundation? A foundation plays a major role in the size of a building and the ability to build bigger in the future. A strong foundation guarantees the integrity, the usefulness, and the sustainability of a structure. In the neighborhood uh, right here behind our church in Brick, there's a very familiar road that I kind of take on the way home. And um, there's a house there that's being added to. It's not a remodel, it's more of a, an addition. And it started out as a ranch-type home, and all of a sudden realized that roof is being torn off, and the next thing we know, there's a second floor being added to that structure, and it's beautiful. It's a, the people are doing a great job. Whoever's doing the construction should be commended. It looks great. But I noticed something right off the bat. Very first thing I noticed was the entire front of the house had a ditch dug to reveal the foundation. Looks to be, I mean, I haven't gotten in my car to look at it, but it looks to be at least four feet deep. And I thought to myself, what is the purpose for that? And all of a sudden I realized, wait a second, you cannot add to... A structure, unless you find out if the existing foundation is already strong enough and intact enough to support the additional structure that's going to be uh, expanded, the second floor. So I thought to myself, wow, what a picture of this series that we're in right now. Because what's happening is a lot of us, as we cover each foundational topic, are having to do a self-examination to say, okay, what, what is my foundation like now? Like, what is, what's the condition of my existing foundation? And so, very much like that, the homeowners of that house had to have the contractor do. We sometimes we have to dig deep, and and go back and study. Okay, what is my foundation in this particular area? And what is my foundation in the area of we we covered the area of righteousness? We covered the area of what it's what actually happens in the born again experience, and so we're we're coming to understand that uh, what God is going to require of the church and what's God what God's going to require of us individually and personally, is going to of necessity require us to kind of like scrape the dirt away, scrape away all that seen on the surface, and really get down and say, what do I really believe about this topic, and what do I really believe about that topic, and. Uh, how strong is my foundation? And so we're going to see that today uh, as we continue to study in part four about this person of the Holy Spirit. So so just getting back to this review here, a foundation built by the Word of God serves the same purpose in our life. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is an extremely important portion of Scripture as it pertains to this. And let me read you the Scripture and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now understand this. Uh, Paul's saying to Timothy, a very young pastor, uh, maybe at this point in life still very inexperienced, but Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, don't move off your foundation. In fact, build it stronger and, and stronger because you're going to have to accomplish a lot for God. Timothy would. Once Paul's off the scene, Timothy would continue pastoring churches and playing a major role in the foundation of the early church. The other thing that's very interesting to note, and, and you cannot separate this, you know, we have this habit as, as believers and as students of the Bible that sometimes we just take a scripture, pull it out of context. And um, we don't really get the fullness of the context. Um, But if you read the beginning of chapter three, Paul is talking about what it's going to be like in the end times. What is it going to be like just before Jesus comes back to earth? And man, if you read that and you're free to do that, I'm not going to go into it for the sake of time. The beginning of that chapter, Paul sets the stage. This is what the condition of the earth is going to be like. Therefore, by the time you get to verse 16, you're going to need to, to know the word, okay? He wrote the scripture in the context of being prepared for the difficult times that you and I are living in right now. Unprecedented times, times of turmoil, times of fear and anxiety. And although it was very important to them in the first century because they were going to face and were already facing very difficult times, horrible persecution, persecution. Um, lives put at stake just for revealing that they were believers in Christ. It was important to them in the early church, but Paul by the Holy Spirit received insight that in these last days before Jesus returns, the church must have not a suggestion, it's a must have an even stronger foundation than the early church had. We're living in very different times in the early church. Yes, persecution, fear, anxiety, turmoil, However, we're dealing with an age where there's so much information, so much technology, so much bombarding us on a continual basis from all angles. Even now in these days, especially in these days, we're going to need our foundations to be very strong. We could say it this way. In the last days, there'll be so much deception that you better know exactly what the Bible teaches or you're not going to make it. Listen to this in matthew twenty four Jesus is kind of preparing the disciples for what's going to be coming. He's going to go to the cross um he's going to they're going to witness horrible things that are going to take place in him so he's trying to prepare them so they're on they're 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 on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples come to him and it's, and we're going to start off in that verse there in verse three matthew twenty four three now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, now understand the Mount of olives uh is is across from the temple mount the mount of olives there there's a mount of olives and there's a valley and then there's a temple mount so from the mount of olives you've got a clear shot to see the entire structure uh they would be able to see the entire structure of that second temple that was rebuilt and and uh especially during the times just before jesus comes to the earth so they had a clear shot and so they're there they're sitting on the mount of olives they're looking across they're looking at the temple uh, Jesus is there with them, and they ask this question. Tell us when these things will be. See, Jesus had just said to them in verse 2, uh, not one stone of this place here, this is beautiful as it is, the day's going to come where there's not going to be one stone left on top of another. And we know that by 70 AD that was totally fulfilled. So that intrigued them because that would be equivalent to us saying somebody, like we're taking a trip to Washington, D.C., And seeing all the beautiful, the White House, the Capitol building, the Washington Monument, the Jefferson Monument, Lincoln Monument, and somebody saying, one of these days, this is going to get flattened and there won't be anything left of this place. That would get our attention. And so it got the attention of the disciples. And so they said to him, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And the very first thing that Jesus says in verse four, and Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Did you catch that? He said the very first thing is be on guard, be aware that no one deceives you. So Jesus said the very first sign of his coming would be deception on a worldwide scale. And we know that the answer to deception is truth. In these days that you and I are living in, we have got to have a very strong foundation of the truth or we will not, we will not survive. And we're supposed to not just survive, but well, we're supposed to thrive. And those of us that have that strong foundation, and those of us, and I hope you're joining us in this quest of building a stronger foundation of the Word in our lives, we will not just survive, but we will thrive even in the worst of times. So, so far in part two, we established the truth that when we're born again, we become a new creation in Christ. I'm sure you're familiar with Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In part three, we discovered that through a great exchange, Jesus took our position as a sinner so that we could take his position as righteous. Therefore, we attained a good position with God. Righteousness means that we are in a good relationship with God. I don't know if this, I'm I'm sure this has probably happened to you, that maybe one of your relationships, whether it's a family relationship or uh, a a workplace relationship or somebody that you're friends with in church, and uh, you may start out with, with, man, things are really well. You're getting along really good. uh, There's a lot of harmony between you and this individual or group of individuals. And, you know, you guys are enjoying each other's company and enjoying the fellowship, and, and you're seeing how God's using this relationship. And then all of a sudden something happens. Uh, either you do something wrong or somebody else does something wrong, and there's an offense that takes place, and there's, that you feel that wall come up. What happens at that point in time? There, you're no longer in right relationship with each other. Something's wrong. Something has come in. Some kind of a wall has come up. And there's, there's some, it's not the same. Well, that's basically what happened with Adam and Eve and God. They had an awesome relationship. Mankind had an awesome relationship with God. And then, you know the story, Adam and Eve fell. They took their trust that they had in God and they placed it in the enemy. And that caused a rift, it caused something's not right. Now, it's not so much on God's part because God is love, but they lost their awareness of the presence of God. And when we're out of righteousness, when we're out of right standing with God, we lose our awareness that everything is okay between us, okay? So to be righteous or to be in the state of righteousness means that we're back in that good relationship. There's harmony between us. Everything's okay. I don't feel intimidated being in their presence, uh, in his presence. Uh, he is very much uh, pleased that we are back in that place, and he's the one who chooses to put us back in that relationship. He's the one who takes us and puts us in that right standing. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might or could become the righteousness of God in him in Christ. <clears throat> this is a gift that God gives to all who have placed their faith in Jesus for salvation. When you and I said, Jesus, I believe in you, I trust you to be my Lord and Savior. I'm responding to you drawing me to yourself. I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. At that point, God takes us. Regardless of what conduct has changed or not changed, it has nothing to do with our conduct. It has to do with what we believe. And it has to do with the confession, the declaration of faith that we have made as it pertains to Jesus. And then God says, okay, there is no longer any rift between us. There's no longer any separation between us. I am now choosing. Even though you may still be acting the way you did, even though you may still be conducting yourself the way you did, that's, that's on your part. But as far as my part is concerned, I now will choose to see you in good standing. There is nothing separating us anymore. There is no wall of offense. I'm not angry with you. I'm very pleased with you. I choose now to treat you as if you are completely perfect. That is an awesome gift from God. And that is what the Bible calls righteousness. Romans chapter 5, verse one says this, therefore, having been justified by faith, in other words, having been declared innocent because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has brought us back into that place of harmony that place where everything's okay between us. Verse 2 says, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is it saying here? We have peace with God, but because I've declared my faith in Jesus Christ and I'm choosing now to declare that he's my Lord, he's my savior, he is my God, I now have access to grace to stand now from this point forward. I am now being placed in the position of righteousness. I am in right standing with God. And we who are born again, when we are born again, we step into a good place with God and that happened because Jesus gave himself for us. Okay, so we come to part four now. And this is extremely important. And this is Part of our foundation that has got to be intact and has got to be strong. It's got to be settled for all time within our souls. Listen to this truth. When we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live or you could say reside in us. He is the Spirit of God who comes to live in the believer. John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus speaking. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. And that word helper is capitalized. That he, the helper, not it. And if your Bible translation refers to the Holy Spirit as an it, get a different translation. He's not an it. He's not a power. He is not an energy. He is not electricity. He's not a dove. He's not fire. He's symbolized by those things but he is a person, and Jesus always refers to him as a person, okay? And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. There there it is, dwelling, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, he goes on to say, identifies him as the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. He's talking to the disciples now. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So I picture Jesus when he's explaining this, and maybe you can get this picture. I picture Jesus when he's explaining this about the Holy Spirit saying, you know him, for he dwells with you. And just showing himself like, like he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So what's Jesus saying to them? Jesus is saying, guys, it's me. It'll be my spirit. It'll be, it'll be my spirit who I've been dwelling with you, but now I will be in you by my spirit. Are you hearing that? He says, you know him. No, it's me. It's me. You know him. But now I'm going to be in you by my spirit. That Greek word that's used to describe this helper is the word parakletos. It's a helper. It's, one, uh, it's another one. This is exactly how Jesus would have explained it to them. He said, you know him. He's with you. He's the helper. And when, what he would have conveyed to them was, he's another one of the same species like me, but different. Get that. Another one just like me, but different. In other words, you won't be here in a physical form. I will be here. Up until this point, I've been here in a physical form. John says later on in his writings, we handled him. We touched him. Peter says we heard him. We talked with him. They knew him. They saw his physical body. But his physical body is going to go. But his spirit would come and dwell each and every believer some of the other words that are used to describe this person of the Holy Spirit is advocate, where we get the word for attorney from. One who comes alongside us to take hold together with us against. An attorney stands next to his client and pleads his case. He's there to make sure that justice is done. He's there to make sure that the needs of his client are taken care of. He does not leave the side of his client until justice Is done. That's who this Holy Spirit is. And that's why it's so important for us to have a very close, intimate relationship with this third person of the Trinity. And that's why I say to you, I love teaching this because he is my favorite personality revealed in the Word of God. Why? Because he's still here with us. God had promised this centuries before. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 36, this is what we read. Here's the promise through Ezekiel to that generation pertaining to what would happen in their future. It was their future, it's our past, okay? Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart. There's a new birth, that's being born again. And put a new spirit within you, that's the Holy Ghost. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, that new heart, that new birth. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. In other words, when my spirit comes to live inside you, if you will yield to him, he will automatically cause you to walk in the light of the word. It won't be you having to force yourself to do certain things against your nature. Your nature will change because you've received a new heart and the Holy Spirit is within us to help us walk things out naturally, okay? In Galatians chapter three, verse 13, it talks about the promise that God made to Abraham many, many, many centuries before Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian church. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hung on the tree. We know that, it's Old Testament. Verse 14 He redeemed us, He purchased us back, He ransomed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. Listen to this so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The promise God made to Abraham was way more, much more than wealth, than land. It was the promise, my spirit will once again live in man. Just like Adam was created originally. Now before the resurrection, the spirit of God could only come upon and could only be in the midst of God's people. But now he fills and indwells every born again child of God. First Corinthians 3.16 says this. Do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And that can only be fulfilled. That promise can only be fulfilled. The Spirit of God can, can only come and dwell mankind because the Lamb of God had been sacrificed for our sins and resurrected from the dead. Listen to this. I love this part of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter chapter 20, verse 19. This takes place on the very first Easter, very first resurrection day. And then it says here, verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And then he did something very unusual. And he, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now what just took place there? He showed them his hands. He showed them his side. They believed in who he was. They were glad to see the Lord. They believed it was him. Having believed, they're now experience in the new birth. And so in response to that, Jesus again says to them, peace to you, shalom aleichem, wholeness to you, completeness to you. Everything's coming together now, disciples. As my father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. That the first resurrection night, The disciples came to faith in Jesus. They finally could put the whole puzzle together. They finally got the answer to the question that they said when Jesus was in the boat with them and the storm broke out. And Jesus, they wake him up. master, don't you care that we're perishing? He gets up. He speaks to the wind. The storm calms down and they look at each other and go, who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this? They know who he is now. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah of Israel. He's the second person of the Trinity. And so he breathed on them. Now, where do we see that again? There's only one other place that we see anything like this, and it's in Genesis chapter 2. Jesus breathed the Spirit of God in them just as God the Father, the Creator, blew with the Spirit of God into the nostrils of Adam. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man, of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Well, wait a minute. If man became a living being only after God breathed into his nostrils, then we have to assume, even though he looked like a man, even though he had the form of a man, even though we would have seen a body there, God did not consider him a living being until God breathed his breath his spirit, into that, f- f- that form of a body, that form of a person, he became a living being. In Hebrew, it's the word nefesh. It can, be, it can be defined as a living soul. In other words, a real person now alive to his creator. Up until that point, Adam was a man, was a body. There was a body there. It may have already been moving. It may have already been breathing, but it didn't have, it wasn't a living being yet. God didn't consider him a living, complete being. In other words, God did not consider him in his image and in his likeness until God breathed the spirit into him, the breath of life into him. And so, as Adam was a body, but not yet a living being, the disciples... Walked, talked, thought, ate, but really only existed until Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit and they became alive again unto God. I hope you're catching that. I hope you're catching the significance of this. That's why our foundation has got to be so intact as it pertains to the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, in my life, If I'm not aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, I'm walking, I'm talking, I'm eating, I'm thinking, but I'm not living. I hope you're catching that. I'm existing. Before I was born again, I existed. Before you were born again, for those of you that are not yet born again, you're existing. Oh, yeah, it looks like you're walking around. It looks like you're a a part of the human of the human race, you're part of mankind. But spiritually speaking, you're existing. You need to be turned on to your connection to God by the Spirit of God. You know, previously, think about this. Previously, up until this point in time, the disciples could only observe the kingdom of God through the life of Jesus. But now, now they could fully participate on earth with the kingdom of God as it is in heaven. Listen to this scripture. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Verse 4. By which we have been given these to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Pay attention to this now that through these, through these exceedingly great and precious promises, through, through the things that He's given us and through the knowledge of God, the peace and the grace that He's given us through the knowledge of God, through these things, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. What's, what is Peter saying here? We're not existing any longer. We are not just human beings walking around on this earth anymore. There was a time that we walked, talked, thought, ate, conducted ourselves, so we, we would have had the appearance of being alive. No one would say we were dead, that person's dead. No, they're still moving, they're still talking, they're still eating. They had the capacity to think, but they could not participate. You and I could not be partakers of the divine nature. Why? We weren't born again yet. But once the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us, once Jesus and breathed on the disciples, they were able at that point in time to take up his ministry and fulfill it in their generation. When you and I become born again, when we receive the Holy Spirit coming live inside of us, when we say, Jesus, I believe in you, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, I believe you died on the cross, you paid for my sins, I am now in right standing with God, my Father, my Creator. So now I am, not, I am not any longer just on the outside looking in and watching the kingdom of God. I now participate. I am now a partaker. I am an active participant. I'm no longer a spectator. I am now an active participant in the kingdom of God here on earth. Now, previous to Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit on them, The disciples could only observe the divine nature being demonstrated by Jesus, who's 100% God, 100% man. They had never seen before, they'd never seen or heard before a man, a human being filled with the Holy Spirit. They couldn't understand how someone who's flesh and blood could do what God does. You remember when Jesus opened up the eyes of that blind man, and then the, the Pharisees brought him in for a trial and they're grilling him. And they're saying, and, you know, uh, who did this? And, And the blind man said, look, you're saying that this man's a sinner, but we know that sinners only, what he was saying was, we know that sinners couldn't do the things that this man did. A sinner who just exists on earth is not a partaker of, a participant of the divine nature. But something was different about this man. See, they observed the kingdom of God being in demonstration and manifestation Through Jesus, they stood by, they marveled. They were astonished. Now, they were able to do a couple of things here and there in his name under his authority while he was still present. But now, by them receiving the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, they are now able to fulfill the ministry. In other words, the church was ready to be the representation of God Almighty and the kingdom of God on the earth. Why? Why? We have his spirit living in us. Jesus had given the disciples a hope that they could set their hearts on, something for them to look forward to. And he began to explain this to them before the resurrection, before the crucifixion. Actually, at the Last Supper, he began to prepare them for this transition. I'm leaving, but my spirit will be here with you. John fourteen twelve, Jesus speaking. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works from, than these he will do, because I go to my Father. My physical presence is leaving this earth. I'm going back to where I came from. Then verse 13 comes. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What's Jesus saying? I'm going away. If you believe in me, you'll do the same things you've seen me do. And then he goes right into how that's going to happen. How's it going to happen? How are we going to do these greater works? If you're leaving, how are we going to do these? Well, Jesus said, "In my name." But look, look at how it's actually going to take place. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 16. And I will pray the Father. And he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. It's how we introduced this in the beginning. Jesus is saying, I'm going. But those who believe in me, the things that, what, in other words, what you've seen me demonstrate of the kingdom of God through my life, <clears throat> you now are going to be able to do the same thing. How? How? Number one, you're going to do them in my name. Number two, my spirit's going to come and live inside you. And it will be me doing the things through you. That's an amazing promise. Praise God. Hallelujah. I hope you're understanding the significance of this. The born-again person returns now to the very first state in which mankind was created. 100% flesh and blood body with the spirit of the living God dwelling in it a living soul, a real person, no more just walking, talking body with a dead spirit in it. And Jesus took a lot of time in the Last Supper to introduce and reveal the Holy Spirit to the disciples and subsequently unto us. John 16, 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. They didn't understand. This is a good thing he's saying. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the advocate, the attorney, the one who's going to take hold together with you against, if I don't go, he cannot come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Verse 7, the Amplified. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away. The helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you and to be in close fellowship with you. John 15, 26, again in the Amplified. But when the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, strengthener, and standby comes, who I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who comes from the Father. He will testify and bear witness about me. In other words, he's going to reveal even more to you about who I am. John 16, 12. So to back up just for a second here, that's why if you don't know the Holy Spirit, if you're not aware of his presence in you, you're not, you can read scriptures and they'll be, you'll be blind to them. I read the Bible before I was born again, and just, I can't make heads or tails of this thing. It's confusing. None of it makes sense. I don't understand what the symbol is. I don't understand any of this stuff. Flip the switch, get born again, open up the Bible, and like, oh, I see it now. I understand this. It's clear. Why? I had the author of the Bible himself come to live inside me and lead me and guide me. Listen to John 16, 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What? This is before the crucifixion. This is before the resurrection. This is before that first Easter Sunday night when he breathed into them and they received the Holy Spirit. He's saying to them, I got a lot of things to talk to you about. I got a lot of things to show you, but you're not ready for them yet. Verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And you see the disciples after the resurrection, after the ascension, when Jesus returns to heaven, you see them walking in revelation knowledge that they never had while Jesus was still on the earth himself physically. Verse 14, for he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. It's still happening today. Jesus is the head of the church. He's seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the administrator of the church. The church needs to know what the head of the church wants to do. Who reveals that to us? The Holy Spirit who's in us. He's the administrator of the church on earth. He's in direct communication with Jesus, the head of the church. And that's why you and I, need to know exactly what the Holy Spirit, what's on his heart, because he knows what's on the heart of the Father. God gives his followers the Holy Spirit so they may know him better. Since the Holy Spirit is God's spirit, he knows the thoughts of God and reveals those thoughts to believers. The Holy Spirit opens believers' eyes to the hope of salvation and the inheritance that we have in Christ. There's an inheritance that you and I are supposed to walk in. There's an inheritance that you and I are receiving on a regular basis. It's what our possession is because we belong to Jesus. Listen to Paul's prayer for every believer. It's it's part of the letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus. It's chapter one, verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, Do not cease to give thanks to you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, the knowledge of God, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Did you catch that? Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Praise for the church at Ephesus, and it's it's passed down to us this day. Praise that we would be recipients of, that we would be connected with the spirit that brings wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. That's the Holy Spirit. So that the eyes of our understanding, our, our real spirit man, would be enlightened, that we would know what the hope of his calling is and that we would be able to appreciate and partake of the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, that's you and I, that are born again. This is one of our foundational beliefs. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity, third person of Trinity, which came to live in us when we got born again. He is the Spirit of God here on earth to administrate the church and guide every believer. We could very accurately say he is the foundation builder He reveals the word to us. He draws our heart to Jesus. He must be the closest person to us in this life. I pray that you have not yet, if you have not yet, taken this very first step to open up your heart to God, to allow the Holy Spirit to draw your heart to Jesus. He's calling you. He's extended to you an invitation to come into relationship with him. It's so important that you respond the right way. It's so important that you don't put off that invitation. It's so important that you accept and allow the Holy Spirit to draw you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, he wants to open your eyes to who Jesus really is. And having done that, it's up to you then to respond and say a very simple prayer out of your heart. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe that you came to this earth and died on the cross for me. I know that you're tugging my heart. I know that you're pulling me towards you and you want to be in relationship with me. Jesus, I'm responding to you today. And I say, yes, yes, I believe in you. I'm ready to declare my faith in you. Jesus, be my Lord, be my savior. Have your spirit come to live in me. I welcome your presence in my life. I believe that God raised you from the dead and you're alive. And I want a relationship with you. I want to spend all of eternity with you. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord. In Jesus' name. Very simple prayer. Just take what I said and put it in your own words. Very simple prayer. Now, for those of you that are believers, for those of you that are already born again, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you allow the scriptures that we've just covered, that you would allow the Holy Spirit who's speaking to you or even right now to reveal himself to you even more and more. That you now, see, it's, it's, it's amazing how it works. The Holy Spirit makes us aware of this invitation from Jesus to come into relationship again. But now the Holy Spirit's inviting us to get to know him better, to have a closer relationship with him, to treat that relationship as very natural, to speak to him as you would speak to a close friend. And honestly, even more intimate than that, that you would be very much aware of this person, the spirit of God Almighty living inside you, that you'd be very much aware of him and you would speak to him. You would share with him. You would communicate with him. You would treat him like you would treat someone who who you love and share your life with him so that he can impart to you everything that Jesus in heaven wants you to know here on the earth. He will reveal the word to you. You can pray, Holy Spirit, open up my eyes to the word of God and then go and study your Bible and then see the difference of how you now start to, your eyes are open, even as Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, and that you receive the knowledge of God Almighty through his written word by the leading of the Holy Spirit. I pray this for every single one who's watching this in Jesus' name. Thank you so much. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And I pray that the Holy Spirit becomes so real to each and every one of us in Jesus' name.